All right, folks, so um, welcome. This is uh, Luis Perales, CEO of uh, Changemaker High School, the Institute for Transformative Education and the K-20 Changemaker Campus. And today we are on our second podcast. So uh, for today's podcast, we have an amazing guest who is going to be sharing insights. Um, I'll be honest, an old good friend. Uh, so it's an honor really to have, uh, have you here, uh, Vanessa. Um, I'm gonna read a quick uh, bio so folks that are out here know who you are and, and, and what you're about. And we're gonna jump into a really great conversation. So um, saying hi to folks on uh, Instagram, how's it going? Folks on Facebook, what's going on? We're live. Um, so Vanessa Gallego is native of uh, the Sonoran Desert, born in Tucson, Arizona. You are a proud Tucson High Badger who studied Mexican American studies at the University of Arizona. Uh, Vanessa is currently the chief operating officer, the COO, for her family's scrap recycling business, uh, Recycle. Vanessa is an advocate of recycling and environmental protection and was appointed to the City of Tucson's Commission on Climate, Energy, and Sustainability as a representative for Ward 1. You're currently the chair yeah, of that right. commission. Her advocacy includes supporting accessibility to sustainable, affordable transportation and currently sits on the board of BICUS, the Bicycle Inter-Community Art and Salvage. Vanessa also promotes healthy families and communities as a founding member, member of FUGA. FUGA, Familias Unidas Ganando Accesibilidad. So Vanessa helps uh, lead monthly Southside ride known as Bicicleteadas del Sur every last Friday of the month. Don't miss them, all right? Um, as a uh, suicide uh, attempt survivor, Vanessa has spoken publicly in, in Cosmo Latino about her personal experience with bipolar disorder and about the importance of mental health awareness in our community, especially in regards to young Latinx mujeres and the role her mental illness and trauma played in addiction and substance abuse in her life. Health is important to our survival. To be resilient, we need to talk about the hard issues, what our community often either shame or hides. Using uh, her personal experience with mental illness, addiction, and the loss of her younger sister to addiction, uh, she can speak about the struggle that she's had to survive both herself, but more importantly for her ancestors, and how a healthy her means a healthy familia and a healthy comunidad. Yes, wow, that's that's powerful, powerful, powerful. Vanessa, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Louis. thank, thank you for, you for being here. This is uh, we we're just talking about like we've built the place, right? right? And so I'm honored to have you here as a guest to share insights, um, and I think we have a lot to talk about. But first and foremost. How are you? What's going on in your life? What's exciting? You're on board. You're the COO. You're doing all kinds of stuff. How are you? I'm well. So a lot of times I ask, where do you find the time? <laughs> and a lot of my time um, is giving back to the community. Um, a lot of my efforts is um, a reflection of me. And um, a lot of times my investment is in the community. Definitely. definitely. And that's been long term. Yes. Right, that's been long term, and now this is the current iteration of that. Right. Um, to let's jump right into into yeah. that piece of working in the community. So uh, you've worked with different uh, institutions. You're currently working as as your bio states with uh, BICAS and Fuga. Uh, you're on the the CCCS, um, the Commission for the City. Um, you know where do you find the time? Number one, uh, because you are you know you're also a businesswoman. And um, I, I hope this isn't letting any cats out of the bag here, but I see kind of like some political aspirations maybe kind of floating around there. I don't know. I follow, I follow you and I'm like, 
oh, we're getting trained on this and that. There's like something going on. But you tell us, how does all that mix together? What does it mean to you? How is it that you kind of, you've chosen those particular areas to focus your energies, right? There's so much that can be done. What does it mean for you to kind of select those areas and how have you balanced all of that? Uh, certainly. So the areas that I've chosen to invest my time and efforts in are directly connected um, to me and my health and what I believe in and what, I, what I'm doing with my business. So a lot of it pertains to sustainability, um, it pertains to mobility, and it also pertains to like a healthy lifestyle. Um, so where do I find the time is that a lot of the time my, my efforts um, move me and that's what, you know, pretty much um, schedules my day or my, my month. I was just telling Louie that the things I didn't say no to in the spring have come all in the fall altogether. Uh, but to me, it's the same movement of the community that that investment you put in and what you get back that continues to fuel fuel me yeah. every single day. And um, yeah, making that time. Um, I have a wonderful husband now who totally supports all the the efforts I do in the community. And yeah, I mean, I think uh, politically, I've always been inclined to kind of look into um, maybe running for some kind of position in the future. But I think at the end of the day, all these preparations are to do that work, right? So whether it's in office or out of office, whether it's volunteer work or you're appointed to a commission, I think the energy is to make our, our community better in one way, shape, or form. So all right, Mahindi, you heard it first here. Vanessa Gallego, remember that name. Uh, we will be asking for support in the future. I, I don't know for what, but it's coming. It's coming. It's, it's coming. Go. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people talk about the end product. Vanessa, like you're here, right? People now, we, we've, we're the examples now. Yeah. When once upon a time we were looking for other examples. Yeah. So let's go back then. And what does that look like with respect to, did you think that this is where you would be? What did that process look like for you to be like, you know, I'm, I'm here, you know, your family has been instrumental um, in, in a lot of the, the work here in Tucson, mm -hmm. right? And how did you see your role and over time saying like, yeah, that's where I'm going to end up? Was it, what's that process like? Because there is, you know, struggle along that. And a lot of people want to see like, okay, uh, Vanessa 10.0, right. right? But how did we get from Vanessa 1.0 to Vanessa 10.0? Because we have a lot of families out there, young people uh, and familias who their children are in that place right now. They're at that 1.0, right? The world is like five steps away. Right. And so this idea that this is possible. Right. This is. So how did you see it and what did the reality really happen to be? Yeah, certainly. So it's been a long road to get here. And I think what really influenced me is, of course, um, the folks that I keep around your circle. Right. And I was lucky to surround myself with a lot of change makers, a lot of people who are already doing that work in the comunidad. And really, I never, I always envisioned myself as continuing to run my family's business in one way, shape, or form, um, because recycling, um, environmental protection was instilled in me in a very young age, um, both by um, TUSD and the efforts that they were doing to promote um, environmental education and recycling. I mean, during the time I was growing up, there was this, this big push about, you know, um, like, um, protecting water and like knowing all these things, you know, as a kid. So I grew up with that, and I always knew that my passion laid in um, in protecting Tucson and protecting our environment. So, so, um, so in that, just want to jump in here. I mean, you're you're really pointing back to like the educational yes. system has a responsibility yes. here, 
right? And so a lot of times, you know, systems large or small, like there is a role to be played to, to like plant these seeds, Most right? And so if they're reinforced, as, if what I'm hearing is that when they're reinforced, when you see it at home and then you see it at school, then that only exacerbates, that oh, only yeah. like strengthens that that's the direction. Yeah, I remember going home and telling my parents about recycling because to us recycling just meant like scrap metal and metal has value. Um, but going home and telling them like, no ma, you have to put this over here, recycle this way. Um, it's only years later that my mom's like, you were the person to teach me and I was lucky to learn this at school, like the basics, right? Like um, if you want cold water, we'll put a cup of water in your fridge and you have cold water there instead of um, running the tap water until it got cold during the summer. So these little tiny efforts and it was by um, Tucson Water Department that would go out in schools and do this. And I don't know if they continue to do this, but things like that really connected with me at a young age and I was able to go home and teach my parents. And that's one thing that recycling and at least recycle always did was always incentivize recycling with the youth. Mm -hmm. So providing that extra bonus for your cans um, because it, it taught one, you know, like the importance of the dollar of what you're earning. And then second, it was that incentive. It's like, I get a better rate than my dad if I come in and bring my can or my parents. Now, now your, your family has a local business, right? So what was that uh, discussion like with respect to like, you know, either you're going to, you know, you're going to follow in our footsteps or you continue this. Was it more like go to college and pick your path? You know, you know, what was that? What was that direction that was provided? Who was in that? that ecosystem of support and what were they telling you or what were you thinking at, at that time? So my parents were always pushing me to go into higher education. Um, but like my mom said, she had a plan for each of us. I was going to be the accountant. My sister was going to be the doctor. One of us was going to be a hairstylist. So she would always look good. Um, <laughs> so there was all these plans that our parents have for us, you know, to think like what is successful, successful for them. Um, and I think my mom um, struggled a lot with running a business and running numbers and accounting and realized that was really important to run a business. Um, I tried that. I went my first year into Eller College and started accounting and realized that there was no better education than learning it firsthand at my parents' um, recycling company. And to me, like, I saw the value in that. So instead of going to business, I went with my passion which was Mexican-American studies oh, okay. um, because I did always see myself in the family business, but I always saw myself doing more. Um, and whether it was in education, whether it was with um, history or whether it was in um, public policy, um, I wanted to do something on my own in college that I could later be like, that was mine. Yeah, and, and, and where else would you learn, um, you know, recycling and this idea of the environment and the ultimate recyclers and carers for the environment, right? right. That cultural piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, go all the way back in those those indigenous roots and all of that was taught. Like everything goes back, everything's connected, right? So yeah. that's beautiful to be able to say, well, this is the modern version of this yeah. that comes from once upon a time, right? So that's amazing to see. It's almost like that we're we're these modern versions, right, yeah. of this, which is awesome right? <laughs> to know and to think about. And I think it's it's important that like you're saying for us and for families that are out to really realize that you know our our youth are looking to step into those, you know, those roles. Yes. But we have to offer them some path, some encouragement, and some some alignment, right? Certainly. So, um, so after you know, the, you know, the, the college space, getting through that, then what do we? What do you see yourself as? What do you see yourself doing? You know, how did how did you make that decision? Like this is graduation day, we were super excited. Then it was like, all right, get to work, Mikael. What, 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 what was that conversation like? 
Right. Um, so I'll touch a little bit about this later on, but really my last year in college was very um, troubling for me. Mm -hmm. I went through a lot during that year. So graduating, and, and really I didn't graduate. Mm -hmm. I have some classes that I need to do to finish. Mm -hmm. And I have these great teachers at the U of A who are like, come back, come back and just finish these two courses. And I will, I will, I'm going back there. Um, but We're going to hold you to it. You yes. here. Again, say it here, folks. We have the hope. Holding is accountable, like, get it done, finish it up. I'll finish. <laughs> um, so me, it was like, um, I was at a time where it's like, I have to do something and keep going. Um, so I went back to what I knew, which was my family business. And from there, it was just really spreading my wings from that point, from that place. Um, so I just started to really put a lot of investment in, in the things that I was doing volunteer, like voluntarily. So, okay. so I'm, I want to get a little bit serious yeah. here and you've, you've talked about it and, and we read it in the Bible, right? Um, you know, the issues of mental health and, and suicide ideation, mm -hmm. um, the issues of addiction, yes. right? These are like the, um, for lack of a better word, like the dirty little secrets, right? That, that our community sometimes says, this is to get hit. Mm -hmm. Right. We're now at a time where this is now more out in the open yeah. and there's more support, acceptance. Um, there's more of a, of a recognition right. that our community. Yes, our community, many communities are dealing with these real issues. Yeah. Right. So. Um, so what do you what do you say to the, to those youngsters that are out there? You know, what, what can you from your experience, from what you witnessed, what you've had? What do you tell the families that are out here that are. Maybe they don't even know that this is what the, you know their child's feeling or thinking, or or maybe it's the adult who's feeling or thinking all sorts of. Tell us a little bit about your experience and that those that particular um, experience, those challenges that you went. Um, so I know this sounds very um, generic, but you're not alone. No estás solo, and I think I took that for granted. Because as much as there is resources telling me um, um, that you, you can get help here, that you're not alone, I still in my head felt you can't possibly know what I'm going through. Like, yes, you might understand to some degree, but not my level. And that's not true. There are, there are many of us who can sympathize and, and empathize what you're going through. So para empezar, you're not alone, no están solos, y hay mucha... Uh, información, muchos recursos que pueden tomar. There's a lot of information and help that you can go, um, but seek for it and find it because a lot of times we're ashamed or for X, Y, and Z, we're not seeking that out. And as a suicide attempt survivor, seek those out because there is no, um, there is no solution to death other than death and you don't come back from there. So, um, but yeah, I, um, I struggled with anxiety um, depression, and it was, it was only till I was an adult that I realized it was bipolar. Um, because when you were, when I was younger, that wasn't really um, a diagnosis that was given back then. So you were just, you know, depressed. Um, but I struggled through high school, and I think it really started with puberty. Um, because when I got to high school, I had severe anxiety, in which I didn't know what it was. I just knew what I felt, and it was that crawling in that skin, that feeling uncomfortable. Um, that shakiness, and it's just, um, it, it, I couldn't subside that, and the only way I knew how was through alcohol, mm -hmm. and it wasn't fun for me to do, it was just something that I had to do to make it through the day, and it was just getting through the first part of the morning, which was terrible. I was a freshman at Tucson High, hiding screwdrivers, um, which is uh, vodka and orange juice, 
and in the morning in my water bottle because that's what I needed to get through my first couple of periods and then I'd be okay the rest of the day. Um, so my, my addiction started with that. But when you get to college and you get through high school, that's seen as such a social part of, mm. of growing up, right? Like yeah. going to parties, drinking, and, and when you get into college, like that's exacerbated and you're just like, um, I'm partying. So it's just seen as a norm. Yeah. There's no, so, so during that time, your family was not aware. They, 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 did they have hints? Did they talk to you? What, what did that look? Were you really good at, at coping, right? Your coping skills were they really high? Where like nobody notices, nobody really is is paying attention that way. Right. You know what was it like for you? Oh, there were signs. There were signs, but I was really good at coping. And to parents out there, um, don't overlook these signs because I was really good at covering this up for my parents. Because one, I didn't want to let my parents down. Um, and two, um, a lot of time, our reputation and our families are, are really important in masking this. So one of the things to me was uh, making sure that my parents weren't seen in a bad light. Um, I wasn't seen in a bad light, at least with them, because when, when you have an addiction, like um, that affects your reputation. Mm -hmm. reputation. But um, there were signs. Um, I mean, I was uh, expelled, oh, not expelled, I was suspended at sixth grade for bringing alcohol to school. Wow. Um, and that's something that a lot of people don't know. And to me, um, that, that was a huge sign um, that I think my parents just like overlooked and been like, you know, it was something stupid that she did. Mm -hmm. And it was. Um, but there was, um, there was other things. I mean, I had gotten a DUI when I was in college. Mm -hmm. um, there were other signs where I, I, partying was not regular partying for me. It was just like I would go to the max. And a lot of it was that I was coping um, but even with coping, it was just like there was something in me that I needed to drown. Um, and it was whether it was my anxiety, my um, um, suicidal ideations, or just even the repetition that goes into your head when you're in bipolar mania. Yeah, wow. Uh, and so how did, you, how did you manage to push through that? How did, who, who was there for support? Who find, what, what, what was the moment that was like, I, I need to do something else. I, I, this isn't going to work for me. I, I, this needs to go in another direction. Right, right. What, what, what happened? Certainly. What? Um, January 1st, 2006, I attempted suicide. Um, and that was the moment that, um, that shocked me, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the moment when I, my idolation and my, um, cut, me cutting myself just really went, to there, mm -hmm. um, and realizing that I was really close to dying, and the efforts of my family to save me woke me up. Um, so I have a physical representation of my body of that day, and also a line in my life that divides the before and the after, because really I was rebirthed from then. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of it just really put things into perspective of what it is to not be able to uh, tolerate something and then to get to that point of no return um, so that 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 shook me shook my family and from there it was like okay I need real therapy mm -hmm. and I need to do some real actions here because I knew that if I didn't address it it was just going to happen again and in and, and, and the community there are these stigmas yeah. about seeking help mm -hmm. right about um, you know and again the families that are they're listening you know the folks who follow us um, we're trying to provide this kind of these pathways yeah. young people are going through this now adults are going through this yeah. now 
right? So how did you navigate that cultural piece? Like you're saying, I didn't want to let my family down. I didn't want to let myself down. There's these expectations culturally, familial, et cetera, uh, and personal, right? What, what, how did you navigate to be able to say, you know, I need to get through this regardless of those expectations and those things? What, what did that look like? Um, no, you're right. Those expectations. So I'm the firstborn, um, uh, um, firstborn to go to college. Um, so there was a lot riding on me. So um, I think from there, like the only way I could go was up. There was no other choice. Either like I continued to stay there and eventually, you know, die either from X, Y, and Z, or or really start to look at myself internally and be like, what are the things that are are making me do this? What are the triggers? And these things I didn't know until you go to therapy and you start learning these words like triggers and, and trauma and ancestral trauma that we carry. Um, and it's a process. It's still a process. So you're never healed. You work through it. Um, but one of the things is that I went through many therapists. Um, and a lot had to do that I didn't feel they were culturally um, capable of kind of understanding where I was coming from mm -hmm. and the levels of pressure. Um, because one of the things was to me is like, you don't understand my Latina family. My, you don't understand where I'm coming from. And as much as they tried, there were some things that I felt that were missing. So even to me, the process felt like it's not working for me. And that's detrimental mm -hmm. because if you don't believe in the process you're doing, you're not going to, you're, yeah, that's, you're not going to. Yes, exactly. You have to accept that help and say, this is actually helping me. Right. That's like almost step, step one. Yes. Right. Step zero is like you're saying that before, after there's this moment. Yeah. And step one is like, this is actually going to help me. So if you don't accept that, right. then it's going to, it's not going to work. It's not, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy basically. Most definitely. So, so what does healing look like for you? Right. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's, that's, that's heavy, yeah. and thank you so much for, for your willingness to speak to that, right? I know there's folks out here that this is what they need, right? They need to hear from real people in our community who are doing amazing work, mm -hmm. um, who have found a way to work that balance. And like you said, it's an everyday, right? Um, so thank you so much for your willingness to even speak to this, because there's folks out here that need that, yeah. that word. It, 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 no one else other then individuals who have gone through these experiences can speak about these experiences in this way, right? So thank you for that. But, but what does healing look like, right? Que estás casada, that, you know, you're heading up, you know, your family's business, that, you know, what does that look like? You're involved in all these things in the community. What is, how does that fit into this healing process? So there's the healing process within me and um, working with therapy, working with my support group, my family and friends who are tremendous support. Um, and it, it's only recently that a lot of my friends and my comadres, like close friends, realized um, what I had gone through. And this all came about that Dr. Andrea Romero, mm -hmm. a wonderful, wonderful uh, teacher at the U of A, professor, um, uh, inspiration to many of us, and, and really allowed me, helped me find my voice. Mm -hmm. And that's with the Cosmo Latina article um, in 2015, um, and really, Andrea kind of just helped me go through that and finding healing through my story. Mm -hmm. Because up until then, I was still telling people that I had an accident on my arm. Oh wow! And um, it, it it was really hard on me not to speak my truth from that mm -hmm. and to continue that lie. Um, but it was really, really, really hard to come out with my story because 
my biggest um, obstacle was like, what are my parents going to say? Yeah. What are they going to feel when this is published? And then I share it on social media mm-hmm. um, because part of that healing process, and, and really I wasn't going to do it. It took me a long time to admit to making that article and then providing my name, mm-hmm. <laughs> writing so many details. But that, the truth set me free. And I'm here because of it, because I feel so empowered by it, because that's my story. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to see somebody else in this position. I didn't. Um, two weeks ago, I went to a funeral of a friend, um, a fellow scrap metal recycler in Nogales, Sonora, who committed suicide. Um, 40 years old, brilliant, wonderful, caring person. And if you ask me what I remember about him, it's his smile. So for me to hear that, he got to a point that he couldn't take anymore um, was really painful for me because I feel sometimes if I just share my story, that opens the conversation, that opens the door to somebody, right? Um, Not to say that I could have saved him, but we could have had a conversation. Um, And that really hurts because all I remember him is always smiling. And it hurts even more because that was me. I was always masking my pain with a smile and um so just you know it it just um and that's recent that was a a big trigger for me that was a big trigger for me and i'm still coping with it um but yeah so you taking control of your story yes you still being triggered are are these fears are are they warranted i mean were you did they come to be like you're saying i was afraid that my family this would happen if i put out my story this way or these things uh, because like you're saying this 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 friend you know those things keep people from speaking right yeah. was it warranted did those fears come to be how did people respond from with you putting out your message and your story right um so my my mom took it very well and was really proud of me and um i think the um, my dad um, was like, why did you say that? Why did you talk about that? Um, and I understand my father to some degree, is per- to some way he's protecting me, you know, and protecting like our familia, um, but it's, it's not, you know, and I think that's where the conversation goes with our parents. Um, so even all this progress I've done, you know, it's, it's different when a parent is seeing their child go through it. And all my dad said to me is, I wanted to protect you. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was for you to have a better life than me. And it's like, where did I go wrong? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it wasn't your dad. Wow. You know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be about your parents, mm-hmm. you know. But I think parents take it, you know, like, que hice mal yo. Wow. Um, but as far as the community, like, wow. The response from the community, the response from my friends, from my comadres who were like, I didn't know this. Like, my close friends had no idea. And for me to come out and been like, I could have said this 13 years ago and had this major group of support, um, but I did it because I felt I was alone. Wow. Um, so bringing the story just really, really inspired me to um, not only speak about it, be open and own it, but also open that door for someone to be like, I want to talk to you. So, and, and you've you've uh, we've talked behind the scenes here about how the community work that you're doing mm-hmm. is part of that that healing. Yeah. How how does that fit in? How do how do you, how do you go from I'm telling my story and I'm working on myself to I'm going to give to others, right? Because the the belief would be like 
well, if I'm, you're working on you, then you work on you, right? Um, and and th there's a lot of uh, debate about like, self-care, for example, right? And so well, what does that really mean? And, and um, what we talk about here, what we tell the families, what we tell our young people, the staff is do self-care to the point where your cup runs over to fill somebody else's mm -hmm. cup or other people's cup or the community's cups right? rather than I'm good. And then that's where it stops. So how do you see that connection between like your self healing and this community work, which is demanding. There's a lot that goes into, you know, hours, you know, like you, you name it, right. It's taking on these responsibilities um, yeah. that need to be taken on. And, and, and some people say, well, I can't do that because I have to take care of number one. Right. So how do you balance that? And that's true. Always take care of number one. You come first. Um, but to me, it went hand in hand, me healing and healing with my community. Because um, always working the community, I always felt that what I invested came back to me. And, and, um, and it really, my healing for myself and my community was so tied in that I'm helping not only myself, but helping others. And that motivated me. Um, so a lot of times, yes, it's very demanding, but also the work on yourself is very demanding, that self-care. And we're not talking about bubble baths and putting candles. We're talking about real work with therapy. Um, we're talking about pointing you know, at yourself and looking inside and being like, what are the things I need to change to be a better person, to, to feel better? And yes, you come first. So a lot of times um, people or folks might be like, I can only give this much. And it's true. Um, but there's other times where you're able to harness that energy and be able to, to not only lift yourself up, but lift one more person with you in the community. Um, so a lot of times when I was working in the community, it wasn't that demanding at first. It was like, what can I do here? And it was kind of like testing the water. If I can do this, I can do this. And at every step of the way, I was checking, am I okay? Am I giving myself that time? Am I putting way too much on my plate where, you know, um, six months down the road, I'm back in mania again? Um, so it's always checking in with yourself and it's okay to say no to things. Um, and that's, I'm still working. On yeah, that. definitely. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, like, I want to talk to you about Fuga, right? Cause that's like mad community presence, <laughs> right? Where this idea of like, we're going to hit the streets, you know, we're going to be out, we're going to be visible. Right. So talk to us about the amazing work that's coming out of Fuga. Um, you know, that, that from my understanding, this is your baby. This is not my baby. It's all of our babies. And I'll just say it's a group of fugistas who in um, Lane Santa Cruz's living room were like, we're going to do this. Um, so it's my baby as much as all the rest of the fugistas baby. I might lead the rides, but it took a whole team to get me there. I was just saying a year ago last week, it was my first time leading a ride on the south side myself, me leading. And I was leading uh, the city manager and some city officials. And I got them lost in the barrios, which was beautiful because I had no idea where I was at. And I kept circling in a loop and it was dark. There was all these potholes and they were like, where are we? And I was like, andale, paquedeas. <laughs> but it was just like, that's what happened. And a year later, I'm just like so much more confident in leading a ride. Like just the growth I've done. And that has everything to do with the fugistas who helped me get there. Um, but yeah. Uh, Familias Unidas Ganando Accesibilidad came out a year ago in May out of us seeing uh, mobility justice in Surfuxon and not just the city, just the south side, right? And just how mobility, and not, we're just not talking about bikes, you know, or walking, but accessibility in general, mm -hmm. how it connects to so many things. You're talking about education, you're talking about health, you're talking about access and opportunity, um, and, and just how 
mobility really can either launch us forward or it can hold us back. Yeah. Um, so um, just diving into that is just like, well, what is mobility in our community and who's making these decisions? And how do our input come in uh, to make these roads, you know, livable for us, work for us, and at the same time, at least take them back. Son nuestras calles, son nuestros caminos, nuestra comunidad, and how, how do we mobilize and, and, and really move in, in those spaces? And, and this is directly related to um, you're on the board of bikers. Yes. Right? So how, how, how does that play in? What, what, what led you to say, you know, this is the type of organization you know, it, it seems very obvious, right? That from what you're talking about, it seems very obvious. But what was that step into oh, wow. a board position uh -huh. from being like, yeah, I'm a supporter, I'll donate, I show up to events, to even as I think you would be great on our board, wow. right? How does that, how did that play out? Certainly. So part of, um, several years ago, part of my healing process was like, I'm going to take control of my health. Um, I was dependent on a lot of pharmaceuticals, both from blood pressure, um, cholesterol, um, uh, mood stabilizers, and all these things were taking a toll on my body. And one of the things is like, I need to know what I'm putting in. Um, and I really started with really clean, healthy eating, a good strict regimen on working out, and just kind of having all these things play in. Well, little by little, um, pharmaceutical medicines are dropping off. Wow. So um, by um, my uh, blood pressure medication, I didn't need anymore. My cholesterol medication didn't need anymore. Um, bipolar, that was my choice to go off um, mood stabilizers, and it's not for everyone. It is not for everyone, but to me, it was something that me and my therapist both worked as a goal to slowly wing off of that. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I am still, um, you know, um, farm, um, I'm still not taking any mood stabilizer, but not to say that um, this is the path for everyone because you have to really work and know your triggers and know your bipolar or your mental health issues to make such a drastic change. Um, but really what helped me get there was also a bicycle. Yeah. Um, so it really just started with like a friend um, saying, let's go for a bike ride. And that friend was lame. And she's like, just go out and ride. And I started from there and really started connecting with my bike is not only just mobility, but as a way to decompress. And I'm sorry, but when I get on a bike, I can't help but smile. And look at a bicyclist, most of the time they're smiling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I realized there was a real connection with that physicalness of mobility, that freedom, and what it did to my mind, what it did to me, you know, feeling like trapped sometimes from the day in the struggle and then letting loose and just feeling that breeze and riding and be like, I got from here to here by, by my own will, by my own fuerza. Um, and it was starting with that, that I was kind of tricked yeah. into going into this area because my friends were like, oh, you must have always been a, a bicycle advocate. No, I was not. Three years ago, you would really never see me um, advocating for these things. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily, I was introduced to bikers, and bikers saw something in me that they liked, and I loved bikers from the very beginning. And um, yeah. So I'm part of Bike as they accepted me as a board member, and I'm very blessed to be in How long have you been? I'm going officially on two years. Two years. Two right. well, years. congrats. Thank you. Congrats, congrats. Uh, so shout out to Bikers, shout out to the Fugistas. Uh, uh, tell folks, so when's the next ride? When are the rides usually? So we can do some invites. Certainly. So Bicicleta del Sur is always the last Friday of the month, 6 o'clock 
um, El Pueblo Center at Irvington and 6th Avenue. And our next one is October 25th, in which we're partnering up with um, National Latino AIDS Awareness Coalition, in which they're going to be out there giving some information to our comunidad and educating them on the importance of, of AIDS awareness in our, in our community. So, and, and for folks who need uh, help to fix up their bikes, Bikas does that too. Go over and check out Bikas. There's also some other amazing uh, bicycle folks that are out, right, uh, that, that will help. Uh, there's a shop in the city of South Tucson. Yeah. Compañero. Uh, uh, Noe. Noe, yes. Yeah, Noe. So, uh, so go, go, you know, local business, go yeah. support some local businesses, go support some of the local nonprofits um, that are keeping this alive in the communities that stereotypically are not in sometimes included like Tucson's a very big biking community right to the El tour etc cetera, etc cetera. and sometimes those communities aren't really you know included in that I remember my first uh running with the road warriors from Pueblo High School right and so I'm like what you guys are awesome right they're doing all this work so uh shout out to those folks who are also you know breaking down those barriers and 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 kind of building their own table right that's a, a key piece in this is like yes we're going to participate in the city's larger uh, structures, you know, there's walkability assessments and all the sorts of different things that are making the city more bikeable, walkable, etc. Uh, but we have to partake, yeah. right? So, you know, there's been a uh, so here's here's a little bit of political pressure. We'll talk about the CS in a second. Uh, there's been talks of a, a bike boulevard in the south side forever, yeah, right? And todavía no, like it's not there yet. And so we've talked about the loop here in Tucson. So uh, talking to the elected officials out there, hey. Show us some love. I know that you're working on it. Pero come on now. I mean, we're talking years now. You know, like eight, nine, ten years going on this idea of a bike boulevard being developed. And I know inclusivity, talking to the folks, is important, right, in all of this work. So it isn't just going in and just tearing things out and making things however you want it. But, you know, it's been something that has been in the works for quite a while now. So, uno poquito presión. Hey, our, our, our folks who are on bicycles would like to have a nice trail that heads through, right? Uh, not just the loop. The loop is great. Thank you so much for everybody's putting that work. But, you know, the south side also requires a little bit of a TLC. Yeah, and in an east to west mobility that, that's really accessible, especially around I-19. Yep. So there are some projects in the work um, to make some bicycle boulevards. And last week, FUGA held a, a co-event um, with the Tucson Department of Transportation to get that information from the community. So right now it's very important that you put in your two cents to all these projects that are going on because you have the voice to what your community wants to look like. And right now there's real dollars that are gonna be allocated um, with Prop 407 um, and the Bicycle Boulevards, but we need your input because si no otros te lo van a hacer, someone else will, will decide what your road's gonna look like. All right, so you heard it here folks, healed by bicicletas. Right, so yes. go out there, get on your bike, get your gear, get things fixed up, uh, catch a ride. They happen every month. Uh, go find the folks, right? Connect up. It's here in our community, it's our community. It's our responsibility to keep this going in the vibe. And also, if you don't have a bike, we have a great partnership with To Go in which they lend us bikes every bicicleteada. And that's also equity right there. Yeah. Um, because these bikes for normally it's $15 an hour. Um, but if you qualify for low income or assistance, it's $5 for the year. Um, there there are some stipulations. You can use it for like half hour or so, but you can ride for a half hour, check it in, get another bike, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Togo is instrumental in helping our community ride by providing bikes free to us. So if any time you want to ride with us, you know, tienes bicicleta, hit up Fuga Tucson on Facebook, Instagram, 
and uh, we'll get you a bike and get you on the street. Ahí estamos. So, um, Vanessa, again, muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much for coming out, sharing your story. Uh, thank you for being vulnerable with us um, and for being vulnerable with, with the, the community that we, um, you know, we're here engaging, right? The audience that we're building and that we're working with. Um, I do want to remind folks, right, because uh, um, there is uh, the Night Under the Stars is happening. It's coming up. Uh, it's our first uh, Changemaker dinner. So um, you can go to our website, www.changemakerhighschool.org. You can see what's going on uh, with our Changemaker dinner. I, I hope you'll be able to make it and attend. Uh, it's happening this month on October 19th. So uh, Night Under the Stars, some amazing folks are helping to put it together. We're going to bring folks together. Again, celebrating the change makers that are in our community. I think it's super important for us to um, push the envelope with respect to um, bridging the gap between our youth and the change makers who are out there doing the work. And you're definitely one of them. Witnesses. So oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, everybody, again, uh, catch us on, uh, on Insta, on Facebook. Um, you know, please engage with us. Send us uh, any any kind of feedback. We love to stay connected with all of you out there. And again, I want to give uh, thanks to Vanessa for coming out today. Yeah, un aplauso. Un aplauso. Un placer. Thank right? you. So thank you, everybody. Uh, we will catch you next time. Se cuida. Adiós. Bye-bye.